My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is Austin McCasland, a designer, developer in immersive computing. Austin has written multiple courses across VR and AR design and development. He's designed and developed PaintSpace AR, named by Apple as one of the best apps of 2017, and currently works full-time at Google as an AR interaction designer. Austin employs a user-first synthesis of technical understanding and UX design to create effective and useful products in emerging technology. I'm really, really excited to welcome Austin to the show. Austin, welcome to the XR for Business podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. If you're looking to learn more about Austin, you can visit his website at austastic.com, A-U-S-T-A-S-T-I-C.com. Let's dive right in. You work at Google as a UX designer, uh, user experience. For those who don't know, walk us through what you do on a daily basis. I'm a UX designer and I do a lot of prototyping. So basically what I do is I think about software problems from a user first perspective. So thinking about what are things that people are doing that they need solved or what are things that they're doing that they could do better with technology, whether it's a standard app or with AR or VR. And then I basically go through a process of iteration to come up with features for products. And specifically in my current role, I'm on a prototyping team that looks at how we can leverage spatial computing across all these different types of use cases. So I kind of see a range of use cases and explore what's possible from a product perspective. So what are some of the use cases that you're seeing in your day-to-day business that you're prone to working on or, or you're really attracted to? What are some of the best use cases so far? The things that I look out for when there's a use case that could be particularly well suited, and I'll speak mostly to AR here, although I can also speak to VR. But in AR, when there is a problem that's already spatial in nature, it's usually a pretty good indicator. So you'll see this with try-on apps where And I've used this term more broadly to also describe apps like Ikea and stuff. So let's say there's this problem of I need to see what something looks like in my space. AR is really well suited to help with those types of problems. Or what does something look like on me in physical space? Now, those aren't the only things, but anytime that your users are doing something out in the real world or they need information about how something would be in the real world, that's usually a pretty strong signal that you can lean into AR to provide some value there. Let's give an example. You mentioned IKEA and what they're doing with their Place app. And what they basically allow you to do is take your phone, put a digital piece of furniture in the exact size so you can see what your couch is going to look like. But this kind of transcends all types of visualizations. For example, I saw one where Coke did a visualizer to show retailers what the new Coke machine would look like in their stores. And it's not just sending them a photo and mocking it up, it's real time. And that's, I think, really powerful tool for sales. Yeah, especially because one of the key differences between what would be like a standard documentation, like in that Coke use case, for example, is that you can get a sense of scale in a picture, but when you're viewing something and it actually appears to be there, you can walk around it, you can hold other things up nearer to it, and it gives you a much better idea of scale in general. If you watch the 
Google I.O. keynote this year, one of the examples they did is visual search where they just put a shark on stage and it's at the right, it's like as big as the shark would be. And that example follows through to these physical products as well. So it doesn't surprise me that Coke did that. I think it's a really great idea. It's amazing. I think we've only just really scratched the surface of this from what we're seeing. The larger brands are all experimenting with AR and I'm assuming you're seeing this on a day-to-day basis where there's just a lot more experimentation being done. And I think it's finding those killer app use cases and see what I see or virtual try-ons are a really big one. I actually wrote an article called Augmented Reality's First Killer App VTOs or Virtual Try-ons and everything from sunglasses to footwear to necklaces, jewelry, contact lenses, shoes. There's so many ways to use AR to try things on. And I think the next big one is going to be clothing, which I know Google has made an investment in clothing, virtual try-ons, but more for in-store. Are you seeing brands are starting to roll this out or is this something people are just testing with now? I am not as familiar with that specific work. What I can say is that the verticals that I see having the most immediate, effective, actionable use cases is probably in fashion and beauty for all those reasons that you just mentioned. So when I say fashion, that could be anything from a retail experience when you're in a store or it could be a brand experience that you don't need to be in a store to have. In beauty, there's these face filters. There's obviously a big opportunity there, and you see people like Sephora have these try-before-you-buy features in their apps and and things like that. Yeah, there's a a company based in Toronto called Modiface, and they were purchased just recently, about a year ago, by L'Oreal for their virtual try-on of makeup. They had a very, very accurate facial tracking and L'Oreal bought them for an undisclosed amount. So <laughs> it, it is happening. There must be value being created there. The other thing you mentioned about furniture, furniture is another big one that we're seeing. What are some of the UX considerations with that? Because once you've got this app on your phone and you want to see a couch, what are some of the things that you consider when you're designing something like that? Or what would you consider? So that's a good question. I think what you see is that It's really easy for AR applications to fall into two categories. One is something that is like very useful, but infrequent furniture shopping is one of those examples where I'm not shopping for furniture on a daily basis, but when I am shopping for furniture, AR can be like very, very useful in that circumstance. And the second one being sort of the inverse of that, which is things I do every day, but the struggle there is to get it to be more useful than an existing app. But AR plays really well in these sort of episodic scenarios where I'm deciding on furniture, for example. What I would start thinking about is the inbound funnel is always super important for augmented reality because currently the best AR experiences have a dedicated app because WebXR just isn't quite there yet. It's getting close, but you can't go to any browser and just have these web-based AR experiences. Actually, in the case of furniture, you may be able to now because these model viewers are basically being... And when I say model viewer, it's being able to put a 3D model at a scale into space. Let's assume we're IKEA. So we have an app that people might care to download. What I would think about is I've already gotten them into this app. Now, what are they going to do? What do they want to see? They probably want to see if stuff fits in their space. They probably want to see if it matches with the existing furniture that they have. And I would start to look for opportunities there. So let's say I'm following the journey of this hypothetical user that wants to get a new couch that matches with the other furniture in their living room. I would start to look at the tools that are available both inside and outside of AR. I consider AR to be both the computer vision input to AR as well as the output. 
So I would start to look for, are there ways that we can assess the style of someone's room from a computer vision perspective, and then provide them with a better list of stuff that will probably already look good. Wow. That's like next level retail. Exactly. And I think the ML frameworks that are out there, as well as just the CV frameworks that are publicly available are are super powerful. And we're at a stage right now where magic is becoming accessible to every developer. One thing I always tell people, because I give a lot of workshops and I try to get people involved in AR, it seems really intimidating and hard, right? It seems like magic, like you're going to need a team of super geniuses to do this incredibly difficult task. But in fact, the APIs are so easy now that you could get a development team up and running in like a week or two and be doing stuff like analyzing the room for style, even if it's just getting the color palette, stuff like that. Wow. So the barriers to entry for businesses are plummeting. But if you're a company starting out, this is a good question to ask. I think, let's say you're Bob's Furniture Store and you've got an app already and it allows you to search the catalog and select the things, but AR is not built in. What would their first steps be? Do I use VR? Do I use AR? It's a bit confusing. What do you think is the first steps for these businesses to start using this? Because banging together a development team in a week is, is one thing, but most of these companies have no experience in developing anything. Would you recommend they, you know, they find a developer to work with or you know, work with another company? Or what are your thoughts on that? A couple of things to pick apart there. The first is how do they decide AR, VR, or both? If the real world context matters to your users, or it needs to be a thing that happens on the go, then AR is probably going to be a stronger, more compelling fit, just because you can't like incidentally use VR. You need to be planning to do it as a consumer because you don't carry the headsets with you. But if you need to have a really detailed, highly immersive experience, that is, you're just focusing on the virtual content. So a good example would be if you're training someone how to service a new type of valve, right? That might be better suited in VR because it's hands-free and they can have this really focused experience there. Moving forward, how am I empowered to do this AR stuff or VR? What I would say is figure out a general idea of where you'd like to go and then speak to someone like a developer, but less to see if they can be your developer and more to figure out the difficulty level of what you're proposing. There are certain problems in computer vision that sound like, of course, we can do that, but they're actually quite difficult. And there are other problems that sound ridiculously complex, but that actually might be fairly simple. Can you give examples? Uh, yeah. Here's a great one. If I told you that I could like perfectly apply new makeup to your face, when you moved, it was projected on you. It was exactly like you. That might sound really hard, but that's actually super easy with all the new face APIs that we have, you don't need to spin up a big effort to make that happen. But on the flip side, I could then tell you if you want to detect when someone is, let's say, confused or smiling or something like that, it's possible, but you're gonna have to spend a lot more time developing that. And it's just because in that particular circumstance, the way that the face moves when you're experiencing emotions is not as apparent. And same with eye tracking, it's very difficult to track someone's gaze through a phone right now. There's these nuances in development that mean you probably want to talk to someone to see how hard what you're proposing is, but that's a good first step. But let's say you get their feedback. There's two things you can do. If you're feeling really scrappy, you can do what I did, which is learn some development and get it started. Unity is a tool that we use a ton and it's cross-platform. So if you're going to be doing a mostly AR dedicated app, 
I would look into that. And there's tons of amazing tutorials and content. But let's say you're not looking to get that scrappy. There are some, I, I can't remember any off the top of my head, but there are companies that will do AR, VR work for you. However, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the core skill sets that you would want for making an AR or VR product are, from a development perspective, they're game development stuff because the people in that field understand how to work with 3D things, how to work in 3D space, and they understand the pipelines that are needed to get a 3D model into the world. And they'll be able to ramp up super quickly, even if they aren't already AR or VR people. If you can find an interested game developer or a few of them, they can probably get AR or VR stuff started very, very quickly because it's just downloading one of these frameworks like AR Core or AR Kit. So you get to see a lot of different use cases come across, uh, I would assume, in your research and also just working at Google. I'm sure you see a lot of different things at conferences and stuff. What are some of the best use cases you've seen of XR for business? I think some of the most promising use cases right now in VR, because when we say XR, we're talking about AR, VR, and the weird hazy space in between with pass-through cameras and magic leaps and all that. So where I am seeing there being a lot of traction and things that I feel are really compelling from a business perspective, a lot of them are in the B2B space. And when I say this, it's for headset-based experiences. So this could be for something like a Magic Leap or an Oculus or something like that. And these B2B use cases, the thing is that consumers are fickle and these headsets have an inherent cost, this barrier to entry that these teams are trying to push the prices low, but inevitably, like if it's difficult for me to get a consumer to even download my app, it is much, much more difficult for me to convince them to buy a whole device. However, from a business perspective, it's really just like a return on investment thing. If I can provide an application and let's say it is to train mechanics on how to repair this thing, if I don't have to fly them out on site to the actual equipment, or if I can demonstrate that they are trained faster or they retain information better, which makes them make fewer mistakes, it's really easy for the business to say, yeah, we're just going to buy like 10 headsets and do this. Yeah, we've seen that quite a bit, yeah. I think training is powerful in VR in these circumstances. And it's interesting because at first I thought, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if I was a car mechanic and I could just automatically see where like the part I need to fix is. But the thing is that it's mostly consumers that need that. The people who are already experts in their field, they already know what to do. They don't even know where the oil goes. <laughs> Exactly. But one thing that I have seen that is really interesting are asymmetric phone a friend type experiences so that you can have, and I've switched into, let's say we're in like a blue collar situation where someone's out repairing something in the field, right? And they may not be the expert, but they're the one who's out there and something's going wrong. Being able to overlay information for those types of people for, I can see what they see and I'm pointing things out to them. That can be really powerful to basically make every employee that that person has an expert. And for some of those, you can even get away with using Google Glass and stuff like that. So remote assistance and see what I see is like having an expert leaning over your shoulder. Another area where I see a lot of B2B traction is in architecture and construction planning. Mm -hmm. This is again with the headsets that there are some AR experiences, but a lot of architecture firms are bringing clients through their proposals in virtual reality now, just because it's such a selling point 
and frankly, a competitive advantage for your architecture firm to be able to actually let people step foot in their building before a single brick is laid. Yeah, I've seen a, a number of different use cases. Uh, one of them in particular was a hospital where they rendered it out in 3D, put everybody in the VR headsets, and then the nurses, for example, got to sit at the nurse's station. And as they were sitting there looking around, they realized that there was a wall that was in the way of communications and blocked the flow of everything. And this is before they've even dug ground. So they were able to catch this line of sight problem really early. So at one of my previous companies that I worked at, we were exploring a lot of, it wasn't architecture, but it was in the sort of B2B use cases for spatial computing. If they had built that wall and then they had to tear it down and fix it or something difficult happened that caused someone to get more injured or not get help, the cost is immediately justified. That's why it's so powerful because as a consumer, you're not going to save money by getting a VR headset. You might be able to do certain things better. You might have these awesome experiences and those might have value to you. But in the right circumstance, in a B2B perspective, you can actually say you're wasting money if you don't engage in this VR content because procedural non-adherence or mistakes get made. And that's like really easy to justify if you're doing that B2B stuff. It's got a lot of legs in the B2B space. We've kind of come full circle. We've talked about using AR on the mobile phone devices to showcase virtual trials. And then we take it up a notch to the virtual reality glasses or augmented reality headsets where you can train people in not necessarily difficult to train scenarios, but allow them to have much more practice than normal because they can repeat it. They don't have to travel to do it. You know, let's say, for example, your training takes six months to get somebody a gas fitter, for example, six months to get them up and running. Well, you could probably shorten that time dramatically, reduce the number of errors, and then using that see what I see or remote assistance feature, virtually eliminate all of their potential errors. If there is an unknown, they can call for backup. Are you seeing this being rolled out at scale or is this still in proof of concepts or what are you seeing? So... I can't get into too many specifics on, on everything that I'm seeing, but I will say that there are many proof of concepts out there and there are things that are being rolled out and tested at scale for these high fidelity headset-based experiences. The interesting thing is when we talk about at scale, are, and this is why I peg these headset-based experiences as probably a better fit for B2B and the AR phone experiences as B2C, and it's because the scale that we're talking about when we're talking about the headsets is such that maybe you have a business model where you say, hey, get 10 headsets and you can use our software to train your employees to do this thing. And then essentially, as a business owner, you're not working on the headsets. And once the software gets to a certain point, what you're really doing is almost like you're providing a service. You're providing this training service through your software, almost sassy. The scale there is like, I have probably fewer clients, but they're whales. I'm doing bigger deals. There's big money to be made with each client you land. So doing something like that at scale, you might only have 10 major clients and that's a big deal. No kidding. Yeah. In the B2C stuff with AR, the reason why this is powerful is because everyone already has a phone. Now you can actually make a product that's targeted at pretty much everyone in America right now, right? Because everyone has a smartphone. And not, not just America, but there are some places where people have lower access to phones. But for now, we'll just say everyone. Well, I, I've read a stat yesterday that as of last week, there was 400 million 
Google AR core enabled devices out there. That's for, for a pretty good scale, 400 million devices. And then Apple announced uh, their AR kit devices. There's about 600 million. So we're at about a billion smartphones that have AR enabled superpowers built into them. Exactly. And that's a big deal. If you can convince one tenth of those people to spend a dollar each, then you're doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. Or even a hundredth of that many people to spend any money at all. The challenge in the, the consumer space is that consumers are fickle. B2B, you can make this really reasoned and logical approach for return on investment to your clients. You're going to save money. This is good for both of us. And you land fewer of those clients with more money. If you're an SMB person considering developing something for consumers, there's still, a, like you're saying, billing devices. That's a lot of opportunity, but people are more fickle and your go-to-market strategies and your just general approach to your product are going to need to change to try to lure them in to use your app. One of the things that I find is in AR, little moments of, how do I put this, flashiness, like cool entrance animation or something beautiful or interesting happening, that can be really powerful and a huge draw. If you're going into the consumer market, understand that you might be spending some of your development time working on things that are not your core value proposition, but which help users feel like they're having a high quality, interesting experience. Whereas on the B2B side, you don't need to focus on that quite as much because you have a captive audience. There's some of these VR communication platforms where you can go in and you can work together and they're not fancy, they're not flashy. The environments are decent, but they're just there to get the job done. And they do a great job at that. And when we've built B2C apps and stuff, we realize that consumers are fickle. They, they expect everything to look like it has a million dollar budget because that's what they're seeing on a daily basis on Facebook and LinkedIn. And, and Microsoft's done a, a really great job at sandbagging everybody by showing what the HoloLens can do and stuff when it's not even real. I mean, they just released a video of Minecraft, it's very, very well edited. And, uh, you know, and then when clients come and say, we want that, you're like, well, that's great. That doesn't exist. It's all CG. I can make you a beautiful video like that. <laughs> There's a bit of a challenge between consumers' expectations and what is possible to be delivered. Yeah. So I just spoke at Google IO. The session that I hosted with uh, Diane Wong was on using augmented reality as a feature. And I think this is one of the ways that you can circumvent that. I think for a lot of businesses, the best way for them to leverage augmented reality is to not have an AR app, but just have a feature in your app that's powered by AR and consider augmented reality to just be another thing in your tech stack. Just like you can have a backend database that can supply real-time information online. You also have AR that lets you have a pass-through camera experience and understand the world and put stuff back into it. I love that. I was speaking to one client and they wanted to us to build a virtual try-on for their product, but they wanted a separate app. And I said, well, are you going to be selling through your app? And they said, no, we're selling through our website. But then I said, well, if you're selling through your website, then you're going to hit a button and ask people to download an app, open the app, try on the object, and then you have to go back to the website to buy it you just lost everybody right across the board. Yeah, Being able to be cognizant of the consumer journey, if somebody's on your website, don't take them into another app to do something else. And I, I love your idea of using AR as a feature within a bigger app as part of the experience, not the experience, unless you're Pokemon Go, and yeah. in which case, go nuts. This is the key takeaway. If you're building something for a consumer, 
make sure that it's, you're not just building AR for the sake of AR, but it, it serves a purpose within the greater potential of your app? I think that's so important. And actually in our process and my process, you always just periodically need to be able to have a good answer to why is this better to do in AR than not in AR? And if you are unable to answer that question, to be totally frank, the state of things is that XR is emerging tech. The APIs are constantly shifting. There's a smaller workforce that are experts in working on it. And if you're a business that wants to do well, that's somewhat risky, right? So there needs to be a payoff for that risk. If you can't answer the question, why is this better in AR or why is this better in VR, then there's probably more traditional avenues that are going to be easier for you that are going to provide just as much value. But I think what we've been talking about this whole time is where are those areas that are actually more compelling in a significant way to your business with AR or VR than without it? And those are really the sweet spots to keep a lookout for. Got it. Where is it better? And we talked about some of them where AR does make sense. Anything where you need to see something in context to the real world. One of the ones I saw a long time ago was a paint one. And it allowed you to point your phone at the wall, pick any color you want, and the wall would automatically change to that color. And it was kind of cool. But the other thing is I saw another version of that where you just took a photo and it did that. It wasn't real time. And do you really need it to be real time? That's another great question. Do these things have to be real time? Or can they be from a photo and and redone? Because making it uh, work real time is a lot more difficult than post-production or doing an app that just finds a wall and sticks it on. You're totally right. It can often be hard to make a clear, reasoned assessment of why real-time is better than not real-time because it's this feeling of it's really there and you can really see it. And there's like these little things with how you move through space. But I actually consider augmented reality to be both the in and the out. And I think that those asynchronous operations, I would still consider to be AR. And I think one of the key things that I have been coming to understand as I've been working more deeply in AR is that you can have your camera understanding the world and projecting stuff back out into it, but you can also have a successful AR experience with either side, right? So I can know stuff like my product catalog if I'm Ikea, and then all I have to do is just put that in the world and it's really cool. I can also just understand stuff from my user's perspective and then have the output not be in AR. So let's say we use that Ikea example again, where I look around my room and it figures out my style. I could take you into an experience where now you're just browsing a list of all the things that are in your style and there's no AR output. There's this real flexibility there. And I think when people think about AR products, they're like, oh, what would I put into the world? But just look at Google Lens, for example. Google Lens lets you get x-ray vision on stuff. So I can look at a product and I'll get similar products. The results often are not in 3D, they're in 2D. That really starts to unlock what's possible with AR when you think about it in that way. Interesting. It's really a really great way of looking at it. So we're coming near the end of this podcast. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Hmm, That's a good question. The most powerful things that technology does is it makes us high information people. We know stuff. The average person knows more now than ever before. You're Google away from knowing anything on any topic, except for in circumstances where I need to know information about the world around me. Like I want to look at someone's shirt and know how much that shirt costs. 
I have to do a lot of steps to figure that out. And as we see the form factors of spatial computing evolve, it would be really great if we got to a place where we could have incidental XR experiences. And by that, I mean, I don't have to take out my phone and go into an experience, and I don't have to go back to my house and put on my VR headset. But if I always have something, and if you look at where the money is flowing, I do think that there's evidence to support that we are getting there. Yep. Well, Magic Leap just raised another 280 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's why it's important to get in now. You want to understand the space. People say like fail fast, get all of your fast failing done now. And then when we are able to have these incidental experiences where I can just be walking down the street and I don't have to intentionally go in, I can have these passive things. I actually came up with a, a crazy idea for a UX for exactly that. So when you're wearing glasses, we keep seeing this hyper reality version of the world where marketers have hijacked our senses and there's flashy stuff everywhere. But I came up with an idea of, this is again, comes down to the user experience. If I'm walking down the street, I don't want all these things flashing at me and lines and like just craziness around me. I want to know that, okay, that building has some sort of AR content on it. It's maybe highlighted or whatever, very subtle, but I choose when I want to see the highlighted spatial computing information, but it should be just a natural part of my UX of my day. I'm like, oh, I, if I look at that sign, there's an extra piece of 3D content in that sign if I allow it. I love that. And I think a great proxy is if you, if you look at your phone, your operating system doesn't give you ads. You can go into experiences like apps and stuff that might have ads, but you're not going to make a phone call and have someone trying to sell you something. And I think that these spatial computing platforms are going to be similar because no one really wants that. <laughs> like no one does. <laughs> yep. And I think that advertisers are aware of this as well. You don't want to enter into a space of negativity for the people you're advertising to. It's in their best interest to be delicate in how they handle spatial computing advertisements anyways. So I don't think we'll end up in the hyper reality future. I really hope we don't. <laughs> I really hope so too. Oh my God. Can you imagine? There's a, a video on YouTube called Hyper Reality. And it's, I think, seven minutes of what happens if marketers are allowed to take over our senses. Yeah. <laughs> kind of awful. I think these shows like Black Mirror have really opened up people's eyes to the possible negative consequences of this technology. And everybody that I've had on the show and almost everybody that I talk to in this industry is aware of the negative consequences. But we're all pushing towards a more inclusive future. Absolutely. And people who are specialists in AR and VR are fewer in number, but that is also changing. There's so many courses that are popping up that it's not oversaturated at all. But even if you compare today from two years ago, there's never been a better time to find people with AR and VR expertise to help execute on your vision. The number of people who are competent in it is growing every day with these either online learning programs or otherwise. You know what? I keep saying this. I'm shouting it from the rooftops. The timing is now. And uh, we're about to announce something at AWE this year, which I think will uh, will actually contribute to the success of this. But uh, I can't talk to it on this podcast. Fair enough. I don't know when this one's going to air. Is there anything else you want to leave, leave the listeners with before we close off? It bears repeating one more time. In the early days of AR, Everyone came out with AR apps, even the app that I made, PaintSpace, which won some awards. It's nothing but AR. In general, we've seen that be a tricky proposition. But 
From a business perspective, think about AR as a technology that can allow your users to do things better or can empower them to do something they were not able to do before. So don't think about it as this separate thing. Think about it as another way to engage with your users on your applications and with your business. Wonderful. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Austin. This has been Austin McCaslin, UX UI designer from Google. If you want to learn more about what Austin's doing and the great work he's working on, you can visit Austastic, A-U-S-T-A-S-T-I-C.com. I want to thank you for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing businesses across every industry. Thanks so much, Austin. Cheers. Thank you very much. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're on the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.